on? Uh, I think it might be. Might be muted. I don't know. I, keep, I pushed the button several times. So I got excited there for a while. <laughs> I was trying to give Josh the freedom to speak however he wanted to speak. And I, I pushed the button, turned it off, pushed it on, turned it off. And I got lost where I was at. Who do you say you are? Now, I know I've been asked that question a few times, only in the phrase of, who do you think you are? <laughs> but I want to ask you this morning, who do you say you are? So we see in Scripture where Jesus asks his followers, who do people say that I am? He asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now, they gave him a lot of different responses of how the general public thought of who Jesus might be at the time. But then he asked him a really cool question. He said, but who do you say that I am? Ah, we know what the people say I am, but you're walking with me. Who do you say that I am? We see this in Mark chapter 8, verse 27. And I'm going to actually skip 28, but Mark 27 and 29, it says, Mark 27 says, then, then Jesus said and his disciples went out, or Jesus and his disciples went out to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and they, and they way they asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Now in verse 28, we'll see that, you know, they're responding with lots of things. But I want to go to 29. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied to him, you, and, I, and I'm in the Amplified version. I know it's a little different than what you're seeing on the screen. The Amplified kind of expounds on some things. He said, who do you say I am? And Peter replied to him, you, in contrast to others, are the Christ the Messiah, the anointed. See, his closest followers knew who he was. They recognized it, Peter especially. Peter recognized who Jesus was. Now, let's take a trip back in time. We'll go all the way back to Exodus. You know the story. God's people, the Israelites, they're in captivity. They're slaves to Pharaoh. And it's time that they are set free. So we're going to pick up in the story around Exodus chapter 3, where we find Moses letting God know that he's not too keen on the idea of being the guy to lead them out. Exodus chapter 3 verse 10 and 11 says, Therefore, and I love that word, by the way, Therefore, which means because of this, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh and then bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I? <laughs> Moses, again, he says, now, what, now wait a minute here. These people aren't going to listen to me, and they're not just going to follow me. I'm not Jesus, you know. That was out of the MOV, if you didn't catch that. I kind of threw that in. Just Jesus wasn't in this picture quite yet <laughs> when Moses was being given these commands. But that, you know, that's what Moses is saying. It's like, who do you think I am? These people aren't going to listen to me. They're, they're not going to follow me. I can't say, hey, you know, hey guys, come here. I'm going to lead you out of captivity. Who am I to do that? Look at what verse 14 says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, you shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now there's some power involved in that. And, and Amber and I, we discussed our, our uh, emojis or whatever she puts up there, the little pictures she finds. Because I told her, hey, find something cool. And she does a really good job of this. 
But she said, are you sure you don't want to use an I am? She said, I found all kinds of cool I am stuff. <laughs> but no, I want to stick with who do you say you are. But he said, I am has sent me. That's pretty convincing. I mean, when you hear, when you hear or read in Scripture where you, you, and you see the phrasing, the I am, I mean, that, that little two words carries a lot of power. Or it should. I mean, I am. I mean, God, the, the I am created everything. I mean, that's, that's some power. It, but in the same pattern that we see in this I am being developed here, there's a really significance not only to the I am, but there's a big significance to see who we are in this. Who do you say you are? First Chronicles chapter 17, we find where David has come to realize he's living well. Yet the ark of God resides in a tent. David's bothered by this. You go into First Chronicles and read that story, David's like, he kind of laments. I mean, David's a, David's a writer. That's all he is. I mean, this guy can write, man. He can just pin things out. Pours his, ha- ha- his whole heart out on paper, you know. And so he laments over the fact that God, you've given me all this stuff. I got a great house, you know, got a big yard, got somebody to come take care of it, like Josh, you know. Don't have to mow my own grass. I love that part. I hate mowing grass. But anyway, so he's got all this great stuff. And, and, and he's seeing all of this, but then he realizes, God, your your dwelling place, the Ark of the Covenant that, that we've carried with us everywhere we go from from the from its beginning. It's, it's over there in a tent. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't really care much for tents. I gave up tent camping a long time ago. I like camping at Motel 6. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not a real big fan of a tent. Every, it seemed like every time we got camped in a tent, I mean, lightning struck our tent at Call Lake one night. I guarantee you it was lightning struck. It. Blowed that joker plumb apart. Them little fiber poles. Scattered all over the place. We spent the night in the car. The kids' air mattress they were sleeping on was floating in our tent the next morning. You know, I mean, I'm not a fan of tents. And so here's David, who's living well, and he realizes, God, your 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 ark of the covenant, this this ark of your presence, is over here in the tent. And so he's not liking this. But if you get into First Chronicles, it's a pretty cool story. That was a rabbit trail. I don't know where I went with that. Um, <laughs> find my place here. First Chronicles 17, we find where David has come to realize that he's living well. The ark of God's residing in a tent. And in the, last, in, or in the first 15 verses of this chapter, we find God making a covenant with David that lays out the plan for us becoming the temple of God. God didn't ever want to be in a building. That, that wasn't the plan from the get-go. That was never the plan. God didn't plan to be stuck in a box in a building. The plan was for we to become the temple of God. Check out David's response. We go to the First Chronicles chapter 17, verse 16. It says, Then David, the king, went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I? We've heard this before. Who am I, O Lord? And, and, and what is my house and my family that you have brought me this far? 
Who am I, God, that you've given me such blessing? And yet at the same time, I see you residing in a tent. Who am I that you've put this upon me? David goes on to speak blessing and honor back to God over the prophecy spoken over David's house. And we get down to verse 20. I love verse 20 where David plugs this little nugget in. First Chronicles 17, 20, it says, O Lord, there is no one like you, nor is there any God except you, according to all that we have heard in, with our ears. That's incredible. God, there's no one like you. He recognizes that even though he's kind of lamented about the, the living you know, situation, he's realizing that, God, there's no one like you. Nor is there any God except you, because we've never heard anything else. Was I supposed to send them out, by the way? Are you good? Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Tough it out. You can do it. <laughs> Jumping forward to Romans chapter 7, we find Paul speaking of the war between our flesh and our spirit. Our sin nature battling out our spiritual nature. I think many of us can draw us into this picture. You know, I'm not a very, I can draw stick figures. I'm not sure what my stick figure would look like. It's an odd picture. I don't know. Um, But we can draw us into this picture that's being painted in chapter 7. If you go to chapter 7 verse 24, it says, Wretched and miserable man that I am. Who will rescue me and set me free from this body of death, this corrupt mortal existence? Wretched man that I am. I mean, John, we, find, we often find ourselves in, in this place, right? I mean, oftentimes this is where we find our identity. Wretched man that I am. We get sold into this lie so easily by the enemy of our soul. This, this, this woe is me. <laughs> I am not worthy of anything good because of who I've been and how bad I've been. I've, I've met a lot of people this way. I did a lot of time as a chaplain at Juvenile Detention Center in, in Farmington, New Mexico. I ran into a whole lot of people that never felt like they could ever be good or receive anything good because of how bad they had been. I think some of us can relate to this sometimes. So, and, and most of us, maybe, over a period of our time, have found ourselves in this place. Man, I, I've blown it so bad. God will never look at me. I, I can never do anything good for him because I, I blew it. Listen, I was well into my adulthood when God called me into ministry. I've been raised in pews just like this. Heard these messages all my whole life. Never surrendered to God. Till I was way into my adulthood. And then it became this life or death moment. And it changed me forever. And it put me on this path. I have no idea where I'm at now. I'm just walking. <laughs> I mean, I'm just on the path. God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. I just want to be in your presence because there's nothing behind me that I can go back to. I ain't nobody. I've never been nobody. I've never had prestige or power. I'm the guy living in the tent with the lightning striking. You know, it's just how life has been. 
John elaborates on his human nature of being pedestalized or, or pedestalizing someone because they are smooth at what they do. When he addressed Acts and uh, in, folks in Acts of 13, Acts 13, 25, and John was finishing his course of ministry. This is near the end of John's time of ministry. John the Baptist, who we're talking about here. And it wasn't because he was a Baptist. It was because he was dunking people, by the way. Just, <laughs> just get that straight here. Um, <laughs> not poking fun at any of the Baptists. And John was finishing his course of ministry, and he kept saying, What or who do you think I am? I mean, a lot of people, you know, thought really highly of John. Now, I don't know why the man ate locusts. He probably looked like something lived in a cave. And that's how I'd see the depiction of John. I don't see him as being a very astute person. But he was doing something that, that, that people were just flocking to him because of the spirit in which he carried. I love the very depiction of John before he was ever born. When Mary comes... John's in, in Mary's the cousin's womb, something like that. And Jesus is in Mary's. And when they got close, the Bible describes John cut a flip in his mom's womb. Why? Because he met Jesus for the first time. Mm-hmm. What an incredible... That just excites me. I mean, that excites me. Amen. You know? Yeah. I mean, when we get close to Jesus, we're going to cut some flips. When, when he gets a hold of us like that, it's going to mess us up. But he says, who do you think I am? People were pedestalizing him. And he said, I am not the Christ. But be aware, one is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, or even as his slave. Yeah. See, he puts himself in the right place here. He humbles himself before the king. He knows who he is according to Jesus. And we learn very early in the scriptures that God has expected from us that this little nugget is buried way back in Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11, 45, we're going to see just exactly what God has expected from us from the beginning. It says, verse 45, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, my word again, because of this, You shall be holy, for I am holy. God called us out to be holy because He's holy. We're His creation. He created us to be holy. Now we go back to that other part where, Woe is me, Lord, wretched man am I. I haven't had a whole lot of holy in me in my life. And I still struggle with that. I've actually preached a message in the past that what's your definition of holiness? And if I posed that question out to you today, I would probably get a multitude of variations of answer. Because each of us have an idea of what that means to be holy. But there's only one definition that matters, and that's His. He called us to be holy because He is holy. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you likely know what it feels like to run into a wall when it comes to living how God has called you to. <laughs> you know, he calls us to be set apart. He calls us to be holy. He calls us to this. And then this guy cuts me off in traffic and hey, now I'm back 
two years in time trying to fight my way back, right? Maybe it's at Walmart. <laughs> That'll test your holiness. You know, I mean, people test us. Situations in life test us. We run into walls constantly that test who we are in Him. You know what it's like to be genuine or to, to genuinely want to live a way that honors God, but the more you try to live holy, the harder it seems to get? You ever find yourself in that place? God, I'm trying to do the right thing, and my house is falling apart, my truck's broke down, I, I'm broke, I can't pay the bills. What, what is up with this? I, I mean, God, I'm doing everything you told me to do. I have recently been in this place. <laughs> Except my truck ain't broke down yet. I keep praying over that booger. <laughs> but, but think about that. Is it not true that, that, that we, we do everything we can, we're, we're trying our best to live the way God called us to live, and yet we find ourselves constantly struggling? Is that how this is supposed to be? Uh-huh. <laughs> it really is. There's nowhere in here where God paints a picture of giving my life to him that it becomes a bed of roses. Roses have thorns. Think about that for a minute. We're going to struggle because we live in a corrupt world. We don't belong here. Once we belong to him, we're foreigners here. And we're just passing through. What does it say all the way at the end? I use this word a lot. We must endure till the end. That simple wordage in Revelations tells me that I'm going to fight some fights. I'm going to have some struggles. There, there's going to be a testing of faith. It's just common ground. I, I don't understand it, but it is going to be a fight. We are fighting our flesh over our spirit. Inevitably, you will come face to face with your inability to live the way you desire to. One of our main problems is that we get stuck in the belief that we need to live a certain way to be accepted by God. Hmm. Have you ever found yourself like trying to fit in to God's definition of you? I mean, sometimes, and I mean this in a way that we've got this imagery pictured of how we should be because we belong to him. And we shouldn't be going through some of these struggles. We shouldn't be having some of these fights because I belong to Jesus. Well, it's because you belong to Jesus that you're going through those fights. We need to understand that. We think, we, we, we think everything hinges on our performance. God really isn't interested in, in our performance. In other words, we put the cart before the horse, as the saying goes, and it doesn't work real well. I mean, I've never made that work real well. Matter of fact, you push a horse very long, you probably get kicked. You know, that's just the way that is. Identity always comes before behavior. We live out who we believe we are. Most of us have all kinds of mixed up ideas about who we are. Some align with what God says about us, but others are founded in all kinds of lies and fears and lesser thoughts. If you want to break through the lies, the fears, and the limiting beliefs that keep you stuck, you must begin to think of who you are the way our God and Creator 
sees us. I get to pick on Brent now. <laughs> if you go all the way back to Jeremiah chapter 1, I love Jeremiah chapter 1. Because I think this is a real human nature in us. See, 19 years ago and nine or so months, Brent's parents had no idea who he was. Imagine that, right? God did. Because Jeremiah chapter 1 says, Now the the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I approved you of, as my chosen instrument. But before your parents even thought of you, 19 plus years ago, God knew you. He had already set you apart. He had already destined you. And, and before you were born, I consecrated you to myself as my own. And I have appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Oop, wait a minute. <laughs> Do you feel like a prophet today? I mean, if, if I told you to, I don't even, if I told you to call the president today, could you do it? How come? Because of who you are or because of who you think you are? See, God had a different plan. He knew you before he ever formed you in your mother's womb. He already set you apart to be a voice to the nations. He already put a plan. Jeremiah said the same thing. God, I can't, I can't do this. I'm just a kid. Historians believe that Jeremiah was just a teenager. Just a youth. You know how solid youth are today. <laughs> yeah, we got an amen from the youth pastor anyway. <laughs> but the deal is, is if you look at the rest of Jeremiah, which is a really cool part in that, in that chapter 1, Jeremiah's complaining just like all of us. God, I can't do this. I'm not who you think I am. Oh, really? Because <laughs> what he said was, the angel of the Lord came, and he took a coal from the altar, and he touched Jeremiah's lips, and he said, See, I've put my words in your mouth. Don't be afraid of these people. You just speak what comes. That becomes our calling to every one of us. Listen, I got news for you. I get scared to death to stand up here. I question all of this. Oh, it sounds good on Thursday. Yeah, what's a good word? I'm bringing that Sunday. And then I get to Saturday night going, oh, Lord, I don't know if that's the right one. And then I get here on Sunday morning, and Josh does this crazy worship, and then I'm like, gum, I don't know if that's the right thing to say. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, 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 I struggle with this, guys. This is not something that comes natural to any of us. And, and there's a reason for that, because it requires humility to do what God has called us to do and be successful at it. If this was about me, I would be building the wrong house. I'm not building the wrong house. This is God's house. You're God's people. Josh served a big role in that today. AJ served a big role. Jeremy served a big role. Leading in worship. Just coming up here and worshiping our God. And allowing the Spirit of God to flow through that worship into His people. That's life-changing. I mean, honestly... I could have not said a word. We could have done an altar call at the end of that last song. I considered it. (laughs) I did. But I kept thinking, man, this flows into this. You need to know who you are in him. 
before you're even thought of by your parents, God approved you to be his chosen instrument. God said he has consecrated you and he has declared you as sacred, set apart for his purpose, for him. He has made you sacred unto him. You become his own. The rest of that passage shows us Jeremiah's lack of confidence. He argues with God and his abilities. He argues about who God says he is. The ability to be who God says he is. Any of you have ever argued with God about your ability to be who he's called you to be? Yes. Yesterday. <laughs> Maybe this morning. Because it's a, it's a challenge. Our, our human flesh is going to fight against our spiritual flesh. Constantly. It is a constant battle. What does God say about who you are? Who does God say you are? God says you are creative. He said you're holy because he's called you to be holy. You're righteous because you're in a right standing with him. You are secure because he'll provide for you. You are called because he created you for his service. You are confident because his word resides in you. And one of my favorites, what does God say about you? You're loved. God says, I love you. I love you enough to send my son to die for your sins. All you have to do is surrender to me. Come alive in your God-given identity. Learn to live from your identity rather than live for your identity. Live in who God called you to be. Live in who God says you are. He's created you for such a time as this. Man, this is our time. Our world is crazy. Anybody ever noticed that besides me? I mean, this place is chaotic. I mean, it's nuts. The darkness is all around us. What does God say about us in the dark? We're his light. He becomes the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. That light in us dispels darkness around us. You've got to let your light shine. I think there's a little song about that. (laughs) Let your light shine. Let what God created you to be, let it begin to happen. It's not, it's not about just standing behind a pulpit like this and delivering some prepared message. It's about simply sharing your heart. The Bible says that we overcome our enemy by the blood of the Lamb. That's, that's Jesus dying for us on the cross and our acceptance of his blood in our life. We overcome our enemy by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. It's not a story of who I was how bad I was, how good I was, what all I got. That's not the story. The story that that, that comes with that scripture is your story of redemption. Your story of Jesus drawing you out of darkness. Your story of Jesus setting you free from this crazy world and setting you apart for him. When, when When you allow the spirit of God to flow through you in your story, you'll set someone else free. Someone that I can't talk to. Someone that doesn't hear me. You've got the same message as me. You have the same ability as me. Listen, (laughs) 
God spoke through a, I'll say donkey. I've been called worse. If God can do that, he can speak through any of us. You understand what I'm saying? God's not, he's using you because he created you for such a time as this. You're not here by accident. When you, when you, when you begin to really consider, who do I say that I am? I mean, really, who, who do I think that I, I am? You need to solve that because you are a child of the king. If, you're, if you have given your life to Christ, if you've surrendered and you've accepted him into your life as Savior, you are an heir to the throne of God. You're a child of the king. You, you have authority on this earth through him, through his word in you. You can't do what you're called to do until you know who you are. You can't really do who you, what you're called to do until you know who you are. I'll close with this. Isaiah chapter 45 verse 3. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of secret places so that you may know that, that, that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. I'll give you all this so that you know that it is I, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. Not my name, not anybody else's name, your name. God calls you by your name. And I got news for you. When you surrender to him, he gives you a new name. I'm not really sure what mine is. I think he's still working that out. But he's called you by your name to be who it is he's called you to be. It's not up to me to tell you that. Seek him. Find yourself in a place where, where you're in, saturated in the presence of God and allow him to pour into you that which he desires. We were in that place this morning. Wrap yourself in the spirit of God. I could preach a whole other message here about what we put into us throughout a week. I picked up my grandkids from school the other day, two of my grandkids, and we pulled into Casey's. You know, you got to go get pizza when you got grandkids in the truck. So we pulled into Casey's and we were listening to the radio. I mean, radio's on in my truck all the time. And my grandson, my oldest grandson, he's seven. He said, uh, what kind of music is that? I said, uh, Christian music? He said, oh, you mean like church music? I said, well, I guess you could call that. And, and he said, he said, do you always listen to that? And I said, Yeah. I you can get in my truck anytime you want to. It's always going to be on either the house or Caleb, something. I started that when I gave my life to Christ. I made a commitment. Back then it was 88.7. <laughs> I had a 10-channel programmable cassette player. Yeah, cassette player. I know some of y'all don't even know what that is. But I reprogrammed my entire radio when I gave my life to Christ. I had 10 different country stations plugged into that thing and maybe a rock and roll station, one, for those crazy times. But I changed every one of those 10 programmable stations to one 
88.7. I listened to Tony Evans. I listened to Chuck Swindoll. I listened to every message that came out of there because it was the only thing going in me. Why? Because I needed it. I had to have it. I had to separate myself from the world to keep from getting drugged back in there. And I can't afford to get drugged back in there. You are his. You are set apart for such a time as this. You belong to Jesus. He created you for such a time as this. This is your time. What are you going to do with it? If you would just bow your heads with me this morning. Father, you know our hearts. You know who each one of us are. You've called us by name. And God, I ask you today to show each one of us who we believe we are. And God, if we're not yours, if we can't find that name, I ask you to change our hearts today. Don't let us leave this place the way we came. God, you know the struggles. You know the challenges. You know the heartache. You know the pressure. You know every single thing about our life in this moment right now. And God, I know that you are the only one who can set us free. And God, today I ask you, humble our hearts before you. That we surrender all. That we give you our everything. That we become who you say we are today. And that we walk out of here with a new name. We thank you for it in Jesus' name.